Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Almost forgot what day it was since this is my first day on the podcast this week. My thanks to Chad Benson for filling in for me. Uh, plenty of news uh, while I was gone. Uh, we at least have two people from South Carolina running for president now, or probably if Tim Scott officially gets in. And uh, we'll be talking more about Nikki Haley today in uh, just a moment. But all crazy today, Jim. So uh, everybody buckle up. Glad you're with us. Your stool is ready. Here we go. The first story we're going to be talking about has been out there for a few days now, and it just seems to be getting weirder. Uh, this is about the derailment of the Norfolk Southern train in East Palestine, Ohio, earlier this month. It was carrying what's called vinyl chloride, which NPR describes as a cancer-causing substance. Obviously, major concerns about the impact on human life, as well as other parts of the environment in the area. There's certainly been reports of fish dying as a result of this in in local waters. There were evacuation orders immediately following the disaster, but those evacuation orders have now been lifted and people are told it's safe to go back. Well, the people of East Palestine, Ohio, are not having it. They want answers on just what the impact is here. Norfolk Southern refused to send anybody to the town hall last night because they were afraid it might get a little too heated. Uh, And as usual, our transportation secretary uh, seems to be fairly quiet on this because he's busy rooting out uh, the over-representation of white people in construction, I think was the quote this week. So uh, what do you take away from what we know so far and the answers we're not getting? Well, the first thing I would do is I would refer people to my colleague Dominic Pino's piece on this. Uh, went up this morning, and it is a long, detailed, and entirely fact-based review of what happened, what we know, and what still needs to be known. Um, I think one aspect that I think we can that is in, undeniable is that the images that came out of this look terrifying, uh, almost apocalyptic. That giant cloud up in the air, the dark clouds, the explosions, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you cannot begrudge anyone for being uh, terrified of the potential consequence of a derailment, spill, and explosion from all of this. Um, it is worth noting that while uh, they're saying, okay, the threat is mostly managed uh, and the evacuation part- portion has been ended, uh, there is a plume of chemicals that are from the initial release that are headed down the Ohio River. Uh, The current assessment is that drinking water treatment processes should remove any contaminants. But if you are someone who has a uh, local well, they want you to use bottled water and to get that well tested before you drink any water from it. Uh, So this is not, you know, uh, this is not small potatoes. This is very significant for people's lives. There are health risks. It has killed fish. Apparently, they've said no other uh, in that river. There's apparently not risk to other wildlife. I also think that it's really indisputable that if this had happened uh, in somewhere outside the suburbs of New York City or Washington, D.C., or maybe someplace in California, that this would have been major national news uh, and a very big deal. So the claim that this has been kind of undercovered and underdiscussed because of where it occurred, um, that is, uh, you know, that that is a legit complaint. That is a legit concern. An interesting question about the geographic bias of our media. Um, I don't know if I buy into the claim from Tucker Carlson that it's getting undercovered because it's in an area that voted for Trump or something like that. 
I think that just, you know, when it comes to the national news, more news, more attention is paid to the New York City area, the Washington, D.C. area, uh, California and a couple, like maybe a half dozen other cities across the country and more rural parts of the country do not get uh, nearly as much attention. And this is a weakness of the national news media, and it is something that should effort, make efforts to address. The other point about Pete Buttigieg is it did not take too long for him to insist that actually this is all because of a Trump-era regulation that they have not been able to undo. Look, it's been 10 days since the derailment. Uh, as I lay out in the most recent print issue of National Review, Pete Buttigieg has had a very rocky uh, two years as Transportation Secretary. You can find people not just on the right, but also on the left who think that Buttigieg is um, basically treated the job as a platform for a future presidential campaign. He had no previous real experience in transportation issues. And while he's, you know, got the golden resume of Harvard and Oxford and McKinsey and all that, um, from the FAA delays to the problems at the ports on the West Coast early in the year and supply chain issues, um, there are a lot of people who are, and of course, his uh, lengthy uh, paternity leave. There are people who are saying that he's just falling down on the job. A massive, you know, disaster like this one uh, undoubtedly is going to add to that narrative and not addressing it for many days doesn't help. And then on top of it, to say, well, this is all Trump's fault is not going to make things any better either. Uh, that said, I don't think, you know, Pete Buttigieg has to worry about losing his job because I don't think Joe Biden fires anybody. I love the NPR story here, though. Most of the train's 150 rail cars were carrying cargo that was not hazardous, but 20 cars contained hazardous materials. And so <laughs> <laughs> they never give us credit for all the cars that aren't carrying something. Yeah, you know. But it wasn't just vinyl chloride, which, by the way, can cause shortness of breath uh, and uh, high levels can lead to liver damage and cancer. There's also a bunch of other uh, really hard to pronounce words like ethylene glycol monobutyl ether. Ethyl hexyl acrylate and isobutylene. Maybe that's why the media doesn't want to cover this story. Uh, also, one it. tank car <laughs> lost its entire load of butyl acrylate, uh, a clear liquid used to to make paint, adhesives, and caulk. So, a lot to follow, and uh, hopefully, we get some answers soon, and hopefully, we can actually confirm that it's safe for these people to go about their normal lives. All right, Jim, on to our second crazy martini now. And our second and third are related. And both of them go back to yesterday's announcement by Nikki Haley uh, that she is, in fact, running for president. One of the worst kept secrets in politics. Uh, you and Chad talked about that yesterday. You've written about it, uh, I believe, in The Jolt and is perhaps at the corner as well. And one of the things that she has said is that she would like to see a mental competency test for any political figure who wants to keep going past the age of 75. And that certainly raised some eyebrows because, of course, Biden is older than 75, and I'm pretty sure that's who she's talking about. But so is her former boss, uh, President Trump. Now, on Fox and Friends, Nikki Haley says that President Trump you know, he passed the uh, mental competency test back when he was in office, and she's quite confident he could do it again. So that's her explanation there. We'll get to the Biden part in a little bit. Over at CNN, however, uh, they were not very happy with 51-year-old Nikki Haley talking about people over 75. In fact, uh, Don Lemon in particular thinks that 51-year-old Nikki Haley is past her prime. Listen to this. This whole talk about age makes me uncomfortable. I think that I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What do you that's, not Wait. I, that's not according to me. Prime for what? 
Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll. If you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say twenties, thirties, and forties. I don't necessarily. Forties. Oh, I got another. I'm not saying decade. I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful about saying that well, you know politicians aren't in their I think prime. We need, they need to qualify. To are you talking about prime for like child bearing, or are you talking about the prime I'm just for being president? What the facts are. Google it. Everybody at home. When is a woman in her prime? It says 20s, 30s, and 40s. And I'm just saying Nikki Haley should be careful about saying that politicians are not in their prime and they need to be in their prime when they serve because she wouldn't be in her prime according to Google you know, Google or whatever it is. Jim, every rational man on earth is throughout that clip is going, stop digging, throw away the shovel. Nothing good is going to happen here. You're insane. Beyond the fact that a 51-year-old is obviously not uh, past their uh, expiration date, uh, especially someone as accomplished as her. So uh, I don't know if he's trying to like kneecap Kamala Harris at the same time, who's I think about seven or eight years older than Nikki Haley. But uh, sitting at the desk and even bringing that up with two other women is uh, weird enough. But uh, he just kept going, and it's uh, it's just insane. Oh, come on, Greg. If you're looking for an expert on what it means to not be in prime time anymore, <laughs> Don Lemon is the guy. <laughs> By the way, I hope listeners have a moment to go out and watch the video of this, because you got a taste of it with the audio. But the body language of Lemon's two women co-anchors, really, got, you just see them leaning back. You just see this sense of, oh, I I can kind of tell he is setting off a radioactive, self-canceling dirty bomb here on set. And I don't even want to be in the picture. It, it is, you know, just like one step short of Mike Myers when he was next to Kanye West <laughs> and Kanye went on his, you know, George Bush hates black people routine. Um this is absolutely absurd. As I tweeted earlier today, may your past your prime years always be several years away. It is particularly absurd. First of all, I think Nikki Haley's contention of uh, the need for mental competency tests for elderly politicians is absolutely like it, it's absolute common sense. I'm surprised that this is even the least bit controversial. Yes, I don't think it's uh, all that subtle and I don't think it's an accident that it would apply to both Donald Trump as well as Joe Biden. Um this also, by the way, comes in the aftermath of the official retirement or the announcement she would not run for another term of Senator Dianne Feinstein, who needed to be reminded about that statement by reporters the day it happened. Uh, Dianne Feinstein has been going senile for several years. She, she does, has increasingly serious and worse memory issues. She's you know now up you know well past her eighty, well past age eighty. We have good reason to be concerned about this. We cannot trust elected officials to know when they're getting too old to handle the job and they can't perform their duties the way they used to. So it's an entirely reasonable assessment of Nikki Haley. What's more, if we're going to do this for the presidency, we already do it for jobs like airline pilots. Greg, Don Lemon makes a strong case. We should be doing this for news anchors too. <laughs> and that possibly you fail them at age 51 or whatever Don Lemon is. Um, what's more, and you know, on this podcast, you and I are not quick on the trigger to call someone else being sexist. But it does seem a little bit absurd that Joe Biden can be president at age 80 and that, you know, many of our elected officials can be well past the official retirement age and that somehow Nikki Haley is uh, too old or past her prime. She's 51. So really kind of fairly. First of all, she looks much younger than that. But two, um, that's actually, you know, right in the, the normal age for a, a president. Very rare you see a president in their 40s. So. The idea that, ah, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s. I mean, you could see the scoffing and the questions of childbearing age, supermodeling, gymnast, 
<laughs> women's tennis. What what is the measuring stick for prime? You're wanting to hear, you know. Um, it's it's a it's a really bad moment for Don Lemon, and I don't run around saying other people should get fired, but I do kind of. You know, this is not the first time Don Lemon has had a comment like this. They're making cutbacks over at CNN, and I think I just kind of, you know, what what is Don Lemon bringing to the table these days, or is he, as he might put it, past his prime? <laughs> I just looked up Don Lemon. He will be 57 uh, on March 1st. Oh, I stand correct. Yeah, 57. There you go. Okay. So he's he's about six years older than Nikki Haley, who is uh, Gen X. Uh, we need to keep the presidency in Gen X hands. They're the last rational generation. Uh, not the greatest generation is uh, uh, probably a little too old to, to handle the job. But uh, Biden's doing nothing to uh, burnish the reputation of the silent generation and uh, Trump's trying to win one more for the boomers here. But uh, anyway, uh, for Don Lemon, yeah, there's already been reports out there that uh, at least one of his female co-hosts is not his biggest fan. I'm not sure this is uh, going to help him much at all. All right, on to our final crazy martini now. And picking up on this very same point, of course, uh, I mean, Haley, in addition to potentially talking about Trump, was obviously talking about Biden. And it's not just Nikki Haley who's wondering about the uh, mental agility and competence of Joe Biden right now. Uh, Jonathan Martin, uh, formerly of The New York Times, now back at Politico, just had a story out the other day. I think it was just yesterday. Top Democrats harbor Real concerns about nominating somebody who will be 82 at the start of his second term, but the uh, threat of Trump and trepidation about uh, the vice president keeps them quiet, at least for now. And so, uh, Jim, in terms of the situation with Joe Biden, he's got his defenders, though, including Lisa Blunt Rochester, now the at-large member of Congress for Delaware, uh, been working in Delaware Democratic politics for a long time. Uh, she says, the energy is higher now than maybe when I first met him. And I really believe that that's inspired by the work. <laughs> and so uh, she apparently came to Congress, as you point out, uh, working for now Senator Tom Carper back in the late 80s, which was around the time of uh, Joe Biden's plagiarism scandal. So I don't know what you want to say about Joe Biden back then. Not a lot good, but he certainly had a lot more energy than he does now where he never seems to know where to go once his speech is over. So comments like this aren't credible to us, but are they going to be credible to actual voters? I find that extraordinarily unlikely. I, you know, we can give a little bit of credit to the likes of Jonathan Martin. I think the media is not ignoring the issue of Joe Biden's age. Uh, we might argue that they're not treating it as critically or skeptically as we'd like them to. But I don't think you can say that the issue is being ignored or, or downplayed. We've never had an octogenarian president before. Uh, Biden will be 82 shortly after Election Day 2024. If he you know, serves out a full term, a full second term, he would be 86 at the end of it. That's really, really old. Right? So I don't I'm not surprised that Biden defenders want to go out and say, oh, Joe Biden's not too old to be president. In fact, he's doing great. The president's having his physical today. Uh, my suspicion is they'll come back and say, wow, he's in terrific shape for an 80 year old man. Maybe he is. I would note that John Fetterman uh, wrote a had his primary care physician write a letter in October saying that he has no work restrictions and can work full duty in public office. And as listeners no doubt know, he spent two days in the hospital recently, experienced lightheadedness. They ruled out another stroke. They ruled out seizures. But uh, whatever it was, it's very bad. And that New York Times article pointed out that when he hears people, it sounds like the parents in the Charlie Brown cartoons, that, you know, trombone, womp, womp type noise. Um, he's got problems. He's got, you know, significant health problems. We will see if he's able to continue 
in his duties in the Senate. But in other words, that letter from that doctor uh, did not line up with the reality of Fetterman's health. And thus, when the White House physicians come out and say Biden's in great shape today, I think there'll be a great deal of skepticism. I think there's a good reason to be, have a great deal of skepticism. There's good reason to doubt that if Biden has serious health, mental or physical health issues, that people around him will play straight with the public on this. And one of the reasons for that skepticism is when they don't say, yeah, you know, he's lost a step, he's getting older, but he's doing okay. It's that they feel the need to say, oh, no, he's got so much energy. He's got more energy than back in the 80s. No, no, he does not. Uh, I am reminded of when Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, said that Biden has so much energy, she can't even keep up with him. Now, Karine Jean-Pierre is in her mid-40s. If you're in your mid-40s and you have a hard time keeping up with Joe Biden, you should probably see a doctor. That, that probably sounds like a, a bad situation. I do not believe that we see Joe Biden and we see him walking very slowly from, from Marine Force One, walking very slowly, um, almost tentatively to the podium, uh, often not taking questions. And when he's giving the off the cuff remarks, his voice kind of trails off and his thoughts are kind of meandering. And you get this word salad of these sentences. He starts one and pauses and then kind of finishes another. Look, a lot of us have elderly relatives. A lot of us have seen this in senior citizens when it starts to age, really starts to catch up with them. We see this in Joe Biden. And what's more, oh, this is a stutter. No, we've been watching Joe Biden for decades. We remember what he was like as vice president. We remember what he was like as senator. He wasn't like this. Is he too old to be president? I don't know. It's not looking very good, though. And the fact that they keep feeling the need to tell us that, oh, something magic happens when the cameras go away. When you can't see him, suddenly he's got a whole lot more energy. Oh, my goodness. So much energy. People generations younger can't keep up with him. No, horse pucky. And there's other <laughs> words I wanted to use there. I don't believe you. That's the, that, that kind of a spin comes across as desperate. That kind of spin comes across as the truth is really bad. So we've got to hand you something that, yeah, we kind of know is implausible. We can't admit that an 80-year-old man has physical and mental health issues. It's, it is deeply frustrating. My sneaking suspicion is that at some point the Biden presidency will end. And then afterwards, perhaps in a conversation with Bob Woodward or Robert Costa or some reporter like that, you'll hear, you know, the likes of Susan Rice or uh, Ron Klain or people around Biden who say, yeah, we could tell he was in really rough shape. But, you know, it was important for the country that he finished his presidency or something like that. And then it'll be said that he was really struggling or something like that behind the scenes. But until then, they've got to tell us that, ah, oh, when you can't see him, he's amazing. Yeah, OK, I, I, I don't believe that. And I think it's an indication that Biden really is in rougher shape than they want to admit. And it has become part of this, as we've seen with Feinstein, as we've seen with Fetterman, this habitual dishonesty about the true condition of those who are entrusted with significant public responsibilities. Interesting, interesting point. And first of all, I assume, because we're at the point now in politics where no matter what the tests are, if they even do a cognitive test, I'm sure the doctor is going to say he's doing just fine. But it reminds me of that time. I think Ronnie Jackson was still the president's physician. Remember there was this wild briefing on the president's physical and basically most of the mainstream media White House correspondents seemed to be really disappointed that the president was fine. <laughs> yeah, no, a lot of, a lot of people did, doubted the weight measurement. Yes. Uh, a lot of people doubted that the president's, you know, blood pressure and blood sugar and, and all the other blood test type stuff came back looking OK. Um, you know, it's you know, it's not that there is zero skepticism. Oh, but I would point out, by the way, the president's physical he's taking today. It's an annual physical. You're supposed to take it once a year. I think he's in the neighborhood. Like, we're now like 15 months since the last one. It's not you know, it's not completely that he's skipped it for a year, but it's getting 
not quite an annual physical anymore either. And they, you know, they had to be reminded of that. I think this is only his second one of his presidency, which is an indication that we don't, you know, for a president who's 80 years old, you'd be expecting to get more regular health tests to make sure that he's, you know, uh, in uh, in shape where he can function in his job. And it feels like they're coming less frequently, which is, again, not encouraging. If everything's politicized, though, who comes up with the test and who administers and evaluates the test? I could see this becoming a total political football, even if we were to go down this road, which I think is probably unlikely. We just can't trust politicians to be honest with themselves or with the public about this. And we've seen it this. Some people have said that, uh, oh, was it Thad Cochran? You know, there, there are various other yeah. politicians who, you know, now again, we, you know, you and I have talked about this in the past over many cases. And my attitude is kind of the Chuck Grassley rule that if your response to age questions is to challenge somebody to push up contests and you win them, okay, I'll let it go. <laughs> if you seem very energetic and sharp and on top of it, these questions aren't as bad. And there's a very obvious reason these questions are increasingly prevalent, not just for the Diane Feinsteins and John Fetterman's of the world but also for the president of the United States. Also, by the way, just one last case. Greg, let's imagine any any talking head on Fox News had said that women are in their primes in their 20s, 30s, <laughs> maybe 40s. Well, the sponsors would be getting deluged with phone calls to cancel. That would be certain. Absolutely certain. But will that happen to Don Lemon? I don't know. I don't know where he stands in his contract and whether he'd be owed a ton of money or anything like that. But talk about an own goal. That is... Uh, about as uh, severe as they get. I interviewed a 100-year-old D-Day vet yesterday who seemed to be way more with it than Joe Biden. But, you know, case-by-case case basis. Greg, do you want to like run? <laughs> he didn't seem like he was up for that, but uh, okay. but uh, but he'd probably do a better job. Anyway, Jim, uh, good to be back with you today, and uh, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Please tell a friend about us as well. Thanks also for your five-star ratings and your very kind reviews. Please, please keep those coming. They're a huge help to us. Uh, also, you can get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us both on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday and join us again on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch.